It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Dun, 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 it's up to you, New York, New York. Uh, my favorite song played after we won the World Series right at Yankee Stadium. They still play it, win or lose. Good old Frankie Sinatra. New York, New York is the nothing personal word of the day because today is Friday, December 16th, 2022. Now, nah, that's not why. It's because we're talking Yankees. All right, Yankee fans, turn up the volume. Here we go. You last night, you may be aware. I assume you are if you're a Yankee fan. You added a pitcher to your rotation, a starting pitcher to your rotation. After a year of me yelling at the top of my lungs, standing on a hill, standing on my platform shoes, the Yankees need more pitching if they're going to get through October. They went out to the free agent market and signed Carlos Rodon for $162 million over six years. Carlos Rodon will be making $27 million a year. Garrett Cole will be making $36 million a year. Rodon will be second in the rotation, pitching game twos in the playoffs if everything lines up perfectly. You move Nestor Cortez down, you move Severino down. You move Montas down. You've got depth with Herman, depth with Schmidt. It's always good to add starting pitching in free agency. What's the worst that could happen? The worst that could happen is that he underperforms. You can't count on him. He's hurt. He's not as good as he's been the last two years when he was an all-star. Stop with the all-star horse hockey comments to me, please. Anyone can be an all-star in Major League Baseball because half the players don't show up to the game. Half the pitchers aren't eligible to pitch in the game. So what the union does, and it's very smart, is then they've got replacement players named who still get to say they're all-stars when they're talking about their accomplishments in arbitration or free agency. Did Rodon, was he an all-star the last two years? Sure. There's about 50 players per team who are all-stars. Not per team. I'm talking about for the American League and the National League. But two-time all-star. Inconsistent performer. Top pick of the White Sox. Injured. 
not very effective, turned it around, and the Chicago White Sox said, you know what, we're going to non-tender you. Non-tender him. Two years ago, he got non-tendered. It happens. We're going to talk later on in the show about trades that go bad, and I know a thing or two about trades that go bad. For crying out loud, the Minnesota Twins traded David Ortiz one time. Trades go bad. It happens. So the White Sox, non-tendering means he's not good enough to offer him a contract because we're not allowed to cut his salary more than 10% from the previous year in the rules of tendering. Therefore, if we tender him, we have to pay him what we paid him last year, and man, he ain't worth it. So he goes to sign a two-year deal with an opt-out with the Giants. We've said a thousand times, stop with the opt-outs. It's like standard operating procedure in baseball now. And I'm not willing to say baseball has passed me by. I'm only willing to say that I was a part of it with Giancarlo Stanton, but that was the exception. Other than that, stop the opt-outs. And if you're going to do an opt-out, do it deep into a career. Opt-outs only help the player. You think if Carlos Rodon sucks last year with the Giants, he's going to opt out or is he going to take his second year? Scott Boris is the opt-out specialist. But everybody asks for him. But you don't have to say yes. So Rodon has an opt-out after a year with San Francisco and says, hey, I had a good year. Hey, Scotty, what should we do? Oh, my God. Do you have any idea? You got DeGrom on the market, and that's it. The guy can't stay healthy for more than a month and a half. And then there's you, baby. There's just you. And let me tell you the number of teams who need pitching. They all do. Let me tell you about the amount of money that's going to be spent this offseason. Carlos, here's how it's going to work. I'm going to get Correa signed. I'm going to get Bogart signed. Now, don't worry. That's the shortstop market. It's not going to impact you. It's totally normal. The Mets have told me they're bringing back Nimmo, but you are my focus on pitching, but we're going to wait. We're going to wait until teams get desperate. We're going to let Judge go somewhere else, and there's going to be people figuring out, what do we do now? We've got to get our pitching act together. Don't worry. I'm going to get you seven years, seven no chance, toilet pants. I'm telling you, Carlos, I'm your man. We're getting you seven. Let's get it out there, ready? All these teams are interested. We're going to say that we're looking for seven years and over $200 million. This is fine. Don't worry. This always works. There is a sucker amongst the ownership group. I swear to God, just wait. Hold on. Carlos, I got to make a phone call. Hey, Hal, you know, you're losing the race with Steve Cohn. You know the Mets are better. You know the Mets are getting all the headlines. You know the Mets are at 345 to $350 million, and you're a pauper sitting there at $280 million. What are you going to do? Are you really going to take the same team into next year and say, hey, we're better when every team that you're competing with has gotten better? Is that your plan? Oh, no, but Scott, we're good because we lost to the Astros, but the Astros lost Verlander. That's what you think has made you catch up to the Houston Astros, Hal? That they lost Verlander? They replaced Guriel with Abreu. You already know their pitching staff was deeper without Verlander. You're not even close. You need another pitcher. Yeah, but, but Scott, we brought in Aaron Judge. You had Aaron Judge. No, but now he's really with us. He was really with you last year. Wait a minute, Scott, you may be onto something. And remember that nothing personal guy, that guy, Samson? Screw him. No one ever listens to him. He said, we got to get pitching. I got a guy right here, silver platter, seven years, $210 million. 
Don't even talk to Brian about it. He will be a Yankee. You match him with Garrett Cole, and your one-two is as good or better than anyone else in Major League Baseball. I'm telling you, Hal, this is how it's going to be. And better yet, he won't go to Stevie. All right, hold on. I'm not going to call Brian, but just hold on one second. Hey, Brian, it's Hal. Are we really going to go seven years with Rodon? Hal, don't you do that. Hal, I normally wouldn't care because who's going to be here in seven years? But I thought that 25 years ago. I'm still going to be here catapulting over buildings and sleeping on the street and raising money and raising awareness and trying to win a World Series. You know that. Therefore, don't saddle us with Rodon for seven years. It's absurd. He'll be 37 years old. Let's offer him a four-year deal at $30 million, 120 over four. That is a very high AAV. It gets him above Chris Sale, which he's not better than Chris Sale. It still keeps him below Garrett Cole, which we have to do. It's right around David Price, and he's no David Price. I mean, today he may be, but not when David Price signed. Go do that. All right, I'll be right back to you. All right, Scott, we have our plan. Uh, we're going to go with 4-120. And then Scott said, I'm sorry, hold on one second. Hold on. Hey, um, John, yeah, could you put out there that there's a big gap between us and the Yankees, but we've got seven years elsewhere in the market? Get that out there, would you please? All right. Sorry. Thanks. Hal, hey, listen, um, thank you. I appreciate that offer, but we're going we're gonna to pass on that. All right. We'll talk soon. That all happened two days ago. Now let's cut to yesterday. Hey, Scott, it's Hal. We, we can go to five. But that's it. Um, Hal, we, we never even countered. We're not countering a four-year, $120 million deal. We're just not going to do that. This has to be seven, and it has to be 210. That's it. Well, I, I'm willing to go to five. But, you know, look at pitchers as they get into their mid-30s. I, I don't think this is good. You don't care about that, Hal. You care about winning the World Series. All right, let me be back to you. Hey, Brian, should we go to five? No, we should not, Hal. All right, hold on. Scott, we're, we're not going to go to five. Hal, we have seven, and we are about to go to someone in your division. Are you aware of that? Because we're doing it, and it's happening today. You do not have time to call Brian. You do not have time to do anything but tell me, and I'm doing this because out of the goodness of my heart. I'm Scott. I've had a great offseason. I'm looking at over a billion dollars in contracts, right? Here's what we have to do. You understand what it is with my players. I can't let Rodon get less than Nemo. I can't do that. If you go to 162 over five, we'll get this done, and I'll say we're good right now. No way. No, no, Scott, I will not do that. I will not do that. That really crushes me in luxury tax. It makes no sense at all. All right, let's put our heads together, make a rock pile, and let's come up with six and 162. That saves face with me. It gets me close to the seven years. It gets me close to the 210. It gets me to Nemo so I can tell Rodon that this is what we do. It helps in my recruiting of other players who I'm trying to poach from great agents like Joe Wolf and Dan Lozano and Jeff Berry and all the, and the Levinsons and all the other agents out there. Players see that I'll get them the last dollar. So this can work. Do you need to call anybody? No, no, no. We're good. 6162. Boom. That's how word got out that the New York Yankees had signed Carlos Rodon. Near term, I love it. Depth to the starting rotation. You need it. If you can afford it, take it. I'm not going to care about years five and six of this deal because that's the luxury I have by being a Yankee and being in that front office. 
It's not going to crush me. And I need the World Series within the next four years because I'm in danger of the Mets winning one and I'm in danger of another year passing without us winning one. So I am complimenting the Yankees for getting a pitcher like Carlos Rodon. He is not an ace. Do not expect them, Cole and Rodon, to be the one-two punch, the best one-two punch in baseball. If they get hot at the right time, and they have the bullpen pieces to complement them, and their lower-level starters can fill in when there's injuries, and then when you get to October, those lower-level starters can become long guys in the bullpen, you got yourself the making of a pitching staff that can help you be successful in October. I remind you that there was total shutdown on Yankees offense for much of the year other than Aaron Judge last year. So for the Yankees to win the World Series next season, they're going to need consistent production from more in the lineup than just Judge. Any injuries will be problematic and they are not a young team. But give credit where credit's due. While Hal Starbrenner did get taken advantage of by Scott Boris, there was a reason for it. Because the Yankees needed pitching, and they got it. Carlos Rodon is a Yankee. 6162. I had two wait to sees on this. Wait to see is when I tell you something's gonna happen. When it does, it does. When it doesn't, it doesn't. Here we go. I said the Mets aren't signing him. That's a yes. I said there's no way he's getting two hundred million dollars. That's a yes. People were wondering about that wait to see because the numbers have just been so absurd. They figured there was such a frenzy going on. Everyone's getting 9, 10, 11 years, getting pitching out until your late 30s, early 40s, position players, blah, blah, blah. No way. You have to go look at track record at some point, don't you? So those two are right. The thing about free agent signings is how good they feel today and how bad they can feel tomorrow. But my God, all you want to do is feel good today and then put a few good todays in a row back to back. Get that feeling seeping into your fan base, seeping into your clubhouse. Get some momentum. All we want to do is salvage the last game of this series. We've lost the first two, but we're heading out into the road. Let's head out with a victory, guys, so we feel good on the plane. All of these psychological games that are played with players. Players play with the front office. The front office plays with themselves. Part of that is the theory that you do not look back at trades. It is a very dangerous game. Fans love it. There's many members of the media who love tracking trades and following up and saying how horse crap trades are or signings. You think we don't know? You think Jeter doesn't know that he got nothing for Yelich? You think I don't know what happened with the Cabrera trade? Of course we know. Every team in baseball, every Hall of Fame executive in baseball has made bad trades. And not just one. Every Hall of Fame executive in baseball, every GM, has made bad free agent signings. There is zero exception to this rule. And you can at me at David P. Sampson on Elon's platform or on Instagram, whatever you want, but I can only assure you that the number is zero. Word came out yesterday that the Boston Red Sox were designating for assignment a player you've never heard of called Jeter Downs. 
Jeter Downs was a player acquired by the Red Sox in the Mookie Betts trade back right before COVID. I don't know if you remember this. In February of 2020, do you remember when the Red Sox traded Mookie Betts and David Price? The only reason they traded David Price is they were able to shed his money because he was so overpaid, but the Dodgers were able to take that money as a condition of getting Mookie Betts. And they traded Alex Verdugo, who would slide in and play at the major league level with the Red Sox. But there was a prospect named Jeter Downs, and he was supposed to be the guy. Well, here we are two years later, and Jeter Downs is no longer on the Red Sox. Verdugo has turned into a serviceable average major league player. People are saying Chaim Bloom got fleeced. A terrible deal. Chaim Bloom was able to shed David Price's salary, bring in a top prospect, and trade for a player who was going to be a free agent who they weren't going to sign. How exactly is that a bad deal? Please explain to me when I put it in those parameters. You're trading away a player who is not going to sign with your team. You get back a serviceable replacement and a top-end prospect. And on top of that, you shed a salary that you paid to a player who was absolutely crappy. Tell me, how's that a bad trade? Chaim Bloom is getting roasted right now. Do you think the chief baseball officer of the Boston Red Sox sets the payroll? I'm just asking. How many of you think that? Zero percent chance that Chaim Bloom goes to Sam Kennedy, the president. Sam Kennedy goes to John Henry and Tom Warner, the owner, and says, hey, I think our payroll should be $269 million. Oh, thank you, Chaim, for the input. That's what the payroll will be. That's not how it works. Payroll comes from the owner. The owner gives it to the president. The president gives it to the GM. The GM says, oh, I'm supposed to build a winning team for $200 million? How in the heck am I going to do that? All right, here's my suggestions. Zoop, opens up his wallet. Not the one with money, the one with pieces of paper in it, the one with lists of roster players, salaries. Shows it to the team president and says, this is what we're going to have to do to be at that payroll. That's probably not going to be enough to win in this division. Are we good with that? Well, Chaim, if you can't win at $200 million, then maybe we've got the wrong person. Well, what do you mean? You could bring back Dombrowski. The way he won the World Series with the Red Sox is he just spent, spent, spent. The reason he spent, spent, spent is John Henry said, yes, 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 I want another. And then John Henry said, hey, I got four. I don't know that I need another right now because I'm spending some time with the Pittsburgh Penguins and Liverpool and Roush Racing and Fenway Sports Group and LeBron James. We're trying to take over the sports world. That's his prerogative. You can criticize John Henry all you want, but you better do it looking at four rings on your finger. And it doesn't matter if they're operating their team differently today than they did yesterday, and that's why they won their rings. They won four rings this century. Under the theory, you're supposed to win one ring every 30 years, 30 teams, 30 chances, maybe. You're good for 120 years. When Kyan Bloom was hired by the Boston Red Sox to replace Dave Dombrowski, that was a very purposeful hire. When the Dodgers hired Andrew Friedman, it was a very purposeful hire. You are trying to get the philosophy of the Rays 
and applying it to a larger revenue, larger payroll team. The discipline of the raise, applying it to the larger market, larger payroll team. Because discipline is required if you're going to win. Look at the discipline that Andrew Freeman has had. Yes, Andrew Freeman signed Mookie Betts to that huge deal. If you're going to do it, you do it to a position player, not to a pitcher. The discipline to let a player go can be so difficult, but it's so much better for your team. Yes, you lost out on Bogarts. Yes, you did. Scott Boris told you you're no longer the Sox, you're the So-Sos. You lost your ex. Every year, you're always told you've got to have this player. You've got to have that player. And then next year, you're told again, there's always next. Believe me. DeGrom is yesterday's news. He signed. Aaron Judge is yesterday's news. He signed. On to the next. Otani is an example. You cannot get suckered into thinking that you are forced to do something because the media thinks you should or your fans think you should. Jeter Downs is gone from the Boston Red Sox and not one person in the industry thinks that Chaim Bloom is a worse chief baseball officer today than he was yesterday because everyone in the baseball world knows exactly why that trade was made and how important that trade was because the Red Sox had to reset the luxury tax. They had to get under it, and that's what he was told to do when he did it. He found a way to get rid of David Price. One day, people wake up and realize what Mike Hill was able to do by trading Giancarlo Stanton. He didn't want to trade Giancarlo Stanton. It didn't make the team better to trade Giancarlo Stanton. But financially, he was told Giancarlo Stanton cannot be on the team. Okay, let's get something back if possible. But more importantly, let's get rid of the money because that's what my job is. Chaim Bloom's job in the Mookie Betts trade was to get rid of David Price's money. If you release a player, you still have to pay him. If you get another team to pay his salary, you actually get to save that dollar. If you have to attach a good player to do it, that's what you have to do. There isn't one executive who didn't realize what was happening when it happened. But in Boston, they are making the biggest deal out of Jeter Downs getting DFA'd. On a super side note, do you know how hard it is to figure out which prospects are actually going to be good big leaguers? Yeah, you've got your can't misses like Bryce Harper. Oh, wait a minute, that can't be right. Every year there can't miss prospects and they miss all the time. Go just take a look at an NBA first round versus an NFL first round versus an MLB first round and tell me which is the bigger crapshoot. It's pretty easy. MLB has always been the biggest crapshoot. We've got men who chew tobacco and sit around a table. Some of them are now Ivy League grads who just sit in front of a screen and they don't, they've never met a player, they've never been on a field, but they are just looking at numbers and processing numbers and analyzing numbers. Then you've got the tobacco chewing gruff guys in cowboy boots who come out on the field, spend 300 days on the road looking at players who are 18, 19, 20, and they're all doing the same thing. They're all trying to predict who's going to overperform prior to reaching arbitration. Who will be the best player, the fastest in this group of prospects who we have? It is the most inexact science in a world full of science. It is the most difficult job description in a world full of people who get evaluated publicly for making mistakes by misevaluating. 
it is the biggest misconception that baseball people somehow, or these people who write for these papers, top 100 prospects, they don't know shit about shit. These non-baseball people, not in the game, who write for these, these magazines, who top 100 prospects, like you know, if you knew you'd be working for a team. How do I know I'd be working for a team? Huh, I was for 18 years and guess what I never did? Not one time. Go look at a prospect and say, hey, that prospect's gonna make it. Hey, that prospect's not. Nope, wasn't my job, didn't know how to do it, never did it. I listened to baseball people, I evaluated baseball people based on what they told me, and then we followed it for years and were able to evaluate who was better at identifying talent, at projecting talent than someone else, but it is incredibly difficult. So before you eviscerate Chaim Bloom or any GM of your favorite team, keep those things in mind. Everyone loses on trades. Everyone misses on prospects. Everyone misses on free agent signings. Hard stop. Okay. Thank you. We'll be back. Oh, we come back. I did it last night, Coca. I watched the last three hours of Harry and Meghan. We are going to review it. And then we're going to do a Mia Culpa. One of you asked a question. So you want to talk to Samson? I give you all the credit in the world because there was a time in my life when I never would have answered this question because to acknowledge being wrong, and this will now be twice in a show, to acknowledge it was always tough for me, but it's become much easier because I'm on the air every day and I'm wrong way more often. But it takes practice to learn how to be wrong, by the way. You're not just born with it, right? You're born the other way. Like, I didn't do that. Why do you think kids' first instinct is to lie? Where do you think gaslighting came from? It just has a word now. The fact is, everybody's been gaslighting forever. I have no idea where that spills from. That's what kids do in a kitchen when they're four years old. I have no idea why there's dog crap on the floor. Well, you mean you, you weren't there watching the dog needing to go out and all of a sudden he's peeing on the floor? You didn't see that? I, I literally don't know what you're talking about. We'll be right back. <laughs> I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. Coke and I just had a good laugh at the break when he was wondering, where's that on the rundown? I didn't see dog poop on the rundown. It is Friday. Just another manic Friday. Wish it were Saturday because that's my fun day. Friday, I'm in love. I miss the cure. I'm going to listen to that song right after the show. I try to listen to a song after a show because 
we haven't really talked about this, Coca. At the end of a show, you know, there's two things that happen to me after we record a show, and Coca knows one of them. One of them is I have to excuse myself and quote unquote, go to the office. That's what I tell him. But my stomach gurgles throughout the course of a show. And we have a microphone that doesn't necessarily pick up the gurgle. But I'm very careful that I have to get on behind the camera and behind the microphone sort of empty. But for every reason, during the course of a 45 minute show, things tend to fill up and I get a little gurgly because I have a very, very weak, terrible stomach. So first thing after a show is I go to the restroom and try to get skinnier. Second thing is I listen to a song because I have such adrenaline going after a show and there's a different song each day that I will listen to. And it depends on what kind of mood, how I thought the show was. And you could ask me and I would tell you what song I'm listening to on a daily basis because they're different. I go into Apple Music or my library. Today I'm going Friday I'm in Love by The Cure. That's what I'm in the mood to hear. All right, so I watched a bunch of things yesterday and then I became aware that Harry and Meghan were finishing. I watched the first three episodes when they came out last week and the last three came out yesterday. You've got six hours about Harry and Meghan. Harry as in William's brother, as in Princess Diana's son, Meghan as in the actress from Suits, the humanitarian from Los Angeles. It has been well documented what went on with Harry and Meghan, the fact that they were, they left the royal family, the fact that they had uh, there were race implications to the way she was treated. The fact that the tabloids in Britain, if you've never been to London, I'm trying to uh, ex explain it in the easiest way possible. If you think that the Kardashians are popular with the paparazzi because they call the paparazzi and say, hey, we're going to be here. Do you want to come say hi? That's very American type of thing. What goes on in London with the London paparazzi as it relates to the royal family is like nothing you've seen in the US, like nothing any star has ever experienced from Jordan to Ichiro to Kim Kardashian. It is a different world when it comes to the royal family. There are several reasons for that. Some believe it's because the royal family has a contract, which is we pay you pose, that's the expression. The taxpayers pay for the life of the royal family and in return, Share with us your life. Let us live vicariously through you. Look pretty, look thin, and every once in a while get into a few scandals like Prince Andrew, a divorce here or there, something good. That's all you have to do. But when you're in London and you see all the different papers, it would stagger you. It's like a movie, the number of people who are going into the tube, which is the, the subway, the metro in, uh, in London, and the number of people who are grabbing these gossip papers. It is a cottage industry there that is a printer of money. Harry grew up without a mother because his mother died because she was chased by paparazzi. Princess Diana died because she was no longer protected by the royal family after Charles left her for Camille. She wanted a divorce too. Princess Di died because the royal family would not in any way recognize her right to actually have a private life. Wanted to make sure that there was no stain on the royal family by her dating other people or maybe even dating a person of color. No chance that can't be allowed.
Ironically, given that the Commonwealth, as you know, is the majority people of color, brown and black. Meghan Markle comes into the family, biracial, and the royal family couldn't handle it. They fed her to the wolves, as Meghan said in this documentary, and not just fed her, they let the wolves eat her and watched as they did. The problem with the documentary is that if you are going to do a six hour show about how badly you want your privacy and the entire show is a behind the scenes view of your private life, you better walk that fine line with tone or you're gonna come off looking like a brat, like crying out for attention. During the course of six hours, there were four different times when I looked at this camera, at the screen, at the TV, and I said, there's a chance I feel more badly for Meghan Markle and Prince Harry than any celebrity I've ever come across in my entire life. There were six times that I watched during the course of the six hours that I looked at the screen and I looked at Harry and Meghan and I said, my God, they got exactly what they deserve. That's a tough way to watch a documentary, isn't it? Because I don't want that sort of internal strife where do I love or do I not love the star? What's the word, Coca, for um, the protagonist? Harry and Meghan are the protagonist of their own documentary. And the purpose of protagonist, it's someone you want to, you want to fight for. An antagonist is someone you want to see get hurt. That's the terms. When the same person is both the protagonist and the antagonist, that leads to like a tummy ache. And that's what I had for six hours watching this. Do I think you should watch it? I do. Because I think that you should think to yourself, what do you add? What part of the gossip are you a part of because you like it so much and you live vicariously through other people that you promote lack of privacy? I said privacy before because that's how they say it in the UK and we're talking about English people. Privacy, privacy, tomato, tomato. Bloke, guy. Bugger, screw. Roof, roof. <laughs> Harry and Meghan, it's worth it. Six hours, and it's quick. I mean, it's six hours, it's still 360 minutes, but it's quick, I promise. All right, Coca, play me some music. You know what I want? <laughs> I wanna talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson on a Friday. Get into Twitter at David P. Samson or Instagram or find me. I'm findable. Ask me a question. I'm going to answer it. It's from a movie called Half-Baked. Any, anybody have plans tonight? Friday night after Shabbat? Anybody? David, is it time to rethink your position on Zion Williamson? You are practically proclaiming him a bust. And now the Pelicans are the best team in the West and he could win MVP. Thoughts? Hi, my name is David Sampson. If you're watching this on YouTube, nothing personal with David Sampson. I got the pink shirt, blue blazer. That was the Friday outfit. My right hand is up. I'm not doing the stroke test. That's left hand, open mouth, tongue out. Hi, my name's David. Nope, not doing that, I feel fine. A little gurgling, but I'm good. Right hand up. My name is David Sampson. I give a lot of opinions on nothing personal, all of which I believe are right at the time I'm giving them. 
every once in a while, I double down and triple down, even when I think I may be wrong because I'm so stubborn like a child that I don't want to believe I was wrong. Even when I'm shown that I'm wrong, I'll still say I'm right. But then there'll come a time where that becomes indefensible. You can't like quadruple and quintuple down. So here we go. Start your watches. Three, two, 69. For the last several years, I've told you that anyone in New Orleans who thinks they'd rather have Zion Williamson than John Morant, you've got to be out of your mind. If the teams had to do it again, the Pelicans would, of course, draft John Morant because he is on a Hall of Fame trajectory, and he has so far surpassed Zion Williamson, who can't stay on the court. He can't keep his weight down. He can't stay healthy, and the spring in his step is gone because of his body, and it is going to be a problem. Bad feet, bad body. We've seen it happen before. Therefore, Zion Williamson is not who you want to build your team around. That was my position. John Morant has grown into one of the top five players, arguably, in the game, certainly top 10. The Memphis Grizzlies are a team that is very difficult to beat. But this year, Zion has been completely healthy from the beginning, and he has been an unstoppable force. He's scoring 30 points a game, including last night. He scored over 30 but the Pelicans lost to the Jazz, shockingly. But the Pelicans are the number one seeded team in the Western Conference. Zion Williamson, out of nowhere, is in the conversation for MVP of this league, not of his team, of the entire league. You're talking about the favorite is Jason Tatum. You know what he's doing in Boston. Giannis is always second or first, what he's doing with the Bucks. Luke is always there in the top three. They have Embiid, Jokic, all those guys. But then Zion. Zion right now is the sixth longest shot to an MVP. Better than Curry, better than Booker, better than Morant. Zion Williamson is a central piece, a foundational piece of a great team. I suffered from recency bias where I wanted to believe that sure things don't exist because I never saw one. Other than Nicolette Sheridan, I've never seen a sure thing. There's always a matter of chance. When Zion came in as this sure thing, I wanted to further my slanted belief that sure things don't exist by willing his failure into existence for no reason. I've never met him. I have nothing against him. And I was wrong. Zion Williamson has a chance to be one of the all-time greats. All he has to do is stay healthy because his skill that I thought may not play in the NBA, boy, does it ever play in the NBA. His jump, his size, I thought jump plays, size may not. Barkley? Turns out he has a chance to be better than Charles Barkley. Charles Barkley, one of the greatest of all time. You're asking me if it's time to rethink it. I was thinking it before you sent it to me, which is why this made the show. Because I was watching him. There was, a, there was a story on CBS Sports HQ about his last few games and how he's averaging over 30 points and where the Pelicans were. And I was not even aware where they were in the conference. Somehow I just overlooked it. And I still thought they were fighting for the play-in for whatever reason. And it got me rethinking. Then you come up with this question. It's a winner. Wait to see. 
This is how good Zion is playing this year. Steph Curry just got hurt. All the people in New York, the 19,763 people going to see the Warriors play on Tuesday. Guess what? No Steph Curry. Isn't that a bummer? Total bummer gadol. Steph Curry's out for a couple weeks with a shoulder. They call it a subluxation. That just means separated shoulder. And they put it back in, but then you can't play for a while. So they say two weeks. I'm going to guess closer to four uh, when that happens with your shoulder because you can't take the chance because once it comes out, this is me practicing medicine without a license because, oh, my God, I saw it for almost two decades. When you put the shoulder back in, it's just more apt. Remember Fernando Tatis? You're going to need surgery eventually. It may keep popping out. Not good. So Curry's not even a factor anymore in the MVP. He has a hard time winning regular season MVP anyway, but he's not a factor as good as he's been this season. Wait to see. Zion Williamson will finish in the top three in MVP voting. How's that? How's that for rethinking my view of Zion that I'm telling you that he's going to pass Jokic, Embiid, Luka, Giannis, two of those three and finish in the top three. Three of those four. Ready, Coca? Sorry. You, so you can got this ready? Four, 12, 69. Zion Williamson is going to finish in the top three. And to do that, he's going to have to pass Jokic, Embiid, and Luka all, or Jokic, Embiid, and Giannis. So one of Luka and Giannis plus Embiid and Jokic, that's who he has to pass to be top three in MVP, assuming Tatum wins. He's going to do it. Wait to see. We'll revisit it. I promise you, not till next year, but we will revisit it. Zion Williamson is one of the best players in the NBA right now, bar none. If you're not watching the Pelicans, start watching them. Nothing. Personal pick of the day. Niners minus three over the Seahawks was our pick. Did you watch that game? It's going to start now. Get ready for the platitudes. My friend Katie at, at Sportsline, big, big Niners fan. I'm waiting for Katie to say, hey, this guy's better than Brady. Purdy, greater than Brady. Purdy, greater than Patrick. This rookie is taking us to the promised land. Put him together with McCaffrey. You got yourself the best team. Forget the Eagles. We are going to the bowl. The Seahawks had been overplaying their hand the entire season, so this was an easy pick. Niners minus three over the Seahawks. It was a winner. We are now 147 and 122. Coca has not given me a calculation recently, and as we're heading close to the end of the year, we are 25 games over 500. If you have bet one unit for every bet, we have looked at the odds of each bet. We have looked at the payouts for each bet. So I lose if you pick a huge favorite in baseball like a minus 300 to one and that favorite does not win then i'm losing that amount so just keep in mind that when we give you an amount next week for our year it will be an amount that if you had been with us for every pick of the day this is how much money you'd have for christmas shopping and i've got a feeling it's a good number all right i got three picks for you ready tonight the lakers are plus one versus the nuggets Hmm. In L.A. Now, it's not like the Nets who just got fined 25 grand yesterday. Did you see that? This load management thing is ridiculous. I've had it. You buy a ticket to watch a team. In baseball, you know, there's an everyday lineup, but you know there's a chance that there could be a change in the lineup that your favorite hitter is not going to start that day. But the majority of games, you go to more than one, you're going to see your favorite guy. 
starting pitchers are announced. You know you want to see a starter. You come and watch a game. Basketball, you want to see Kevin Durant play or Kyrie Irving or Ben Simmons, who would. But let's just say you do. You got to go thinking you're going to see them, especially if they're on the road. The Nets did not play eight players from their rotation against the Pacers. Eight. They won the game, by the way. But it doesn't matter. They got fined 25 grand. You know what the owner did, Joe Sy, when he got fined 25 grand? He put his hand in his pocket, pulled out a bunch of lint, pulled out 25 grand, said, thank you, because my baseball, my baseball, damn it, my basketball people told me that if we want a ring, we've got to make sure we don't give these players too many regular season minutes. Are you ready to address that, Adam Silver? Because the best way to address it is by shortening the schedule, but that takes money out of owners' pockets. So therefore, you better start embracing load management. Stop with these BS fines because owners don't care. Or if you wanna make it a deterrent, how about $25 million? How about finding an owner $25 million if they sit out too many players on nationally broadcast games? How about if they have to tell you in advance who they're sitting out? Well, that's bad because then we'd have to start evaluating who's injured and who's not. Well, it's pretty damn clear if they don't play one day, they play the day before and they play the next day. I guess that was an injury. That was load management. You're hurting your product. The Lakers need to win this game. They've got to play LeBron and AD. I don't know if they are. You don't know. That's the whole ridiculous part about it. The reason I'm taking the Lakers is that the Lakers are a dangerous team right at this very moment because for whatever reason, they actually believe that they're better than their record. They believe that the team they put together with Westbrook and how great he is with the second unit, LeBron catching Kareem Abdul-Jabbar to score the most points in NBA history, and AD finally playing like one of the best players in the NBA. In their view, we're good. Start right now against the Nuggets. Lakers plus one. Saturday, huge NFL is on Saturday now. You've got the third place World Cup game between Croatia and Morocco at 10 a.m. Eastern, but you've got football all day. Huge storm in Buffalo. Will there be snow, ice, wind, whatever? All these people calling for a dome in Buffalo makes me laugh. I love watching bad weather games. I love when the Dolphins have to go play during the winter. And there's a very simple rule. When the Dolphins are playing in the snow, you bet against the Dolphins. Saturday. Dolphins plus seven and a half in Buffalo. That's right. I'm not going with the Bills. I'm going with the Dolphins because seven and a half is too many. Tua has struggled. The Dolphins have struggled. They're playing better teams now. This is a big game for the Bills, but it's a bigger game for the Dolphins. I'm not sure that the Dolphins win this game, but seven and a half was too much. In my mind, before I looked at this spread in this game, I thought a touchdown, anything over a touchdown, I'm going to take the points. That's what I'm doing. Dolphins plus seven and a half. And we end with Sunday. We end the week with what we've been talking about for a month and a half. The World Cup in Qatar will come to a close on Sunday. The last spectator will walk out of those stadiums on Sunday. Everyone will fly out as quickly as they can. Get the hell out of Dodge and never go back. Cutter will start with their press releases after the World Cup. You're going to see number of spectators. You're going to see number of viewers around the world. That'll come from FIFA. You're going to hear about the success. You're going to hear that this was the greatest thing that ever happened to global football. You're just not going to hear it from me. I did not follow through on my desire to not watch. In fact, I've gone the other way. I watched every match and I've loved every match. 
out of 62 matches, I'd say I watched 58 of them start to finish. The only way you couldn't is when they were playing two game three of the group stages at the same time. You couldn't watch both at once. I guess I did for a few minutes on dual screens. And here we are with France and Argentina. We've made it to a World Cup final that is to die for. Literally, if you're a worker in Qatar, this is the World Cup that you died for. This is the final that everyone prayed for other than Qatar versus Saudi America. Am I taking Mbappe or am I taking Messi? Which is the better story? It's Saudi Arabia, by the way. Sorry. Do you want to do that over again? They thought they'd want Qatar against Saudi Arabia. Instead, they got France versus Argentina. It's the second best matchup they could have asked for. The officials in Qatar, see if you can work that in in the edit. Thank you. Mbappe, his second World Cup. Messi, his first. How do you possibly get a better matchup? You know who I'm taking. I'm taking France because we took them to win the tournament in a wait to see that France was going to defend their World Cup win from 2018, becoming the first team since Brazil in 1962 to defend their World Cup, which they had won in 1958. France is 90 minutes away, plus extra time, from keeping Messi cupless and having Mbappe enter into the conversation as the greatest of all time, and he's a kid still. Tune in, 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific. Don't worry, it will not get in the way of the NFL. Have a safe weekend, everyone. And remember, when you're scheduling sporting events on a Sunday, it's just business. This is nothing personal. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.